Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, family. It's good to be in God's house, to be able to worship God with fellow believers. Before we jump into the message, though, I got some house cleaning, housekeeping to take care of. We had the men's fishing yesterday. Yes? Yeah. Come on, where are my fellas? And of course, it's a slight, it's a little bit of a, a competition that happens between the guys. We, we get out there like 9.30 or a little earlier. The competition starts from 10 to, goes from 10 to 12. It starts exactly at 10. It goes to 12 o'clock. Whoever catches the most fish, whoever catches the biggest fish, those are our winners. And then we'll have a little fellowship afterwards. I'll give them a little word. We'll eat. And then we'll, you know, we just had a really good time. We had like something like 25 guys show up with their kids as well. And... Um, the first catch of the day, those are the fellas. Um, the first catch of the day was, was actually by, uh, by John and Ben. They caught a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but turtles don't count. Turtles don't count. We actually had about three other turtles <laughs> caught. And people were asking me, well, do turtles count? I said, no, turtles don't count. Turtles don't count. And so, so we had a, a good time with the guys. And the actual winners were the person who got the most fish catching three bass. I want you to stand up. William, stick, stand up and take a bow. Yes. The dude, listen, the dude was like a house on fire. He pulled out everything. He was like, what are you using? Everyone was going to him because we had 25 guys out there pulling in nothing. <laughs> he was just steady pulling in fish, right? So kudos to you. And then, but he thought he also got the, he also got the most fish and he was ready to collect that, the biggest fish too, but there was somebody who came in right under the wire. Where's my buddy Michael Major, bro? Well, stand up, take a bow. Biggest fish, biggest bass that was count, caught, 0.11 ounces. <laughs> and so all the fellas were like, well, Pastor Rick, we've pulled bigger fish out of your backyard than we pulled out of this one. So we might head, up, head back to my house next year. But we do want to give an honorable mention. There was a, there was a, 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 a little bass that was caught by, by, by Jonathan. Where's Jonathan? Where, where are you, Jonathan? Jonathan? <laughs> See that? <laughs> he caught some too. Now, I'm not knocking it because he caught more than I caught. I caught exactly nothing. I don't think I even got a little nibble the whole time I was out there. You know what I got? I got sunburn. That's what I got. Anyway, give it up for you guys. Thank you. We had a good time. When we have those events, jump on them. We do have a blast getting together. Well, we're, we are, we're going to continue in our summer series that we are calling the original top 10. And we're doing this series because we recognize that the, the, the people in general, I've said it, can readily, you know, they can tell you the 10 top beers. They can tell you the, the 10 sports teams, the top sports teams. But when, you, when it comes time to telling you the 10 commandments, they don't know the 10 commandments. And even if they do know it, they treat it like suggestions. It's not commandments at all. They're just suggestions. And the, we began this series by me teaching you. I said in 20, 25 minutes or less, you're all going to know it frontwards and backwards. And if you were in here, you got a good idea of how, how it goes. If you weren't here, go back to YouTube, uh, uh, YouTube or Facebook, and, and jump on the first message. And I promise you in 20, 25 minutes or less, 
you will know the Ten Commandments frontwards and backwards. In any order, if I say, you know, what's commandment number two, you're going to be able to tell me. If I say what's commandment number seven, you'll be able to tell me. All right? So jump on that. And so that's where we're going over these. Now, these commandments, today we're going to jump into uh, and focus our commandment on commandment number three. What, what is that one, by the way? Anybody? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. That was given to Moses and Aaron on Mount Sinai to be delivered to God's people. And it comes out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And in order for you to remember it, we wrote the letter three. We wrote the number three. Remember that? And then we, wrote, we drew a little head on it and a neck and everything like that. And it became a mouth and a head and a neck. And there was a vein that was popping out. Because, you know, sometimes people get angry and they say things out of the cup and they say the Lord's name. And then this vein comes popping out, right? Just like you see that vein right there, but facing the other way. And so, and so we remembered it by saying, do not take the Lord's name in in vain. Now, the big question is, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? And you need to understand that in the Old Testament, he, he says, yeah, I will not hold you guiltless, but he also prescribed a remedy for people who would constantly do it in the Old Testament. And this is what he said, I expect to happen in the Old Testament, Leviticus 24, 16, he says, whoever blasphemes, because it's considered blasphemy when you take God's name in vain, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to what? Yeah. And it says, all the congregation shall certainly stone him. Everybody was expected to stone the guy who was blaspheming the name to the person who was dead, the stranger as well as him, who was born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Say, I'm so glad that's the Old Testament. <laughs> right? Because you hear people doing it all the time. It's in the shows. It's, you know, it's all over the place. Does the New Testament have anything to say about it? Well, the New Testament does. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 10, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man it will be forgiven him, but, who, who, but to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. In Matthew 12, 31, he says it again. It's recorded. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy, blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will, what does it say? It will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Think about that. Then he went on to say, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And he called them a brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, whatever is in your heart is going to eventually come out your mouth. I don't ever have to read anyone's mind. All I have to do is read your lips. You will tell me if there's faith there or if there's fear, if you're full of anxiety or if you're full of hope or if you're full of blasphemy, cursing and all this other stuff, taking the Lord's name in vain. Jesus says, out of, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, listen, that for every idle word, Jesus speaking, New Testament, New Testament, for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Whoa. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now it sounds to me, it seems to me that God is listening. Turn to someone and say, God is listening. Every word. He didn't say some words. Oh, just the words when you're happy. He says, every word you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to give an account for, and by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That sounds serious to me. That's why the title of this morning's message is, Watch Your Mouth. Watch Your Mouth. And today we're going to be looking at exactly what it means to, quote-unquote, take the Lord's name in vain. Now, if you even grew up in a moderately a moderately religious or Christian home, you heard this statement before. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. You've heard it. Parents have said it to their children. One friend has said it to another. It's a common phrase with many Christian circles, within many Christian circles. The idea of taking the Lord's name in vain is not just in Christian circles, though. It's well known even with non-believers. They have a basic understanding of what this verse says and means. And people often attribute it to mean using the word God in connection with a curse word. And certainly that's true. That, you know, GD this or Jesus that or something along those lines. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean that. It means that, but is that all it means? Is that all it means? Some go even further by saying that calling on the Lord for trivial purposes is also using his name in vain. For an example... It would be someone, you know, uh, scaring another person, and they, they say, oh, my God, or if you hit your thumb with a hammer and then you say something along those lines. Some say that's using his name in vain. Now, the issue with the verse is that everyone seems to have their own definition of what it means. And so for us, in order for us to kind of figure out what it really means, we have to go back to the text, especially, especially... <laughs> If in the Old Testament it's punishable by death, and in the New Testament Jesus said it might never be forgiven, don't you think we should kind of figure out what it means? Come on, somebody. Now, for us to better understand the meaning, we have to understand what vain means. I'm not talking about the vein in your neck, okay? I'm talking about V-A-I-N, vain. Now, vain can indicate a preoccupation with self or something that's worthless. The word vain can also mean empty or nothing or to no good purpose. And if you use, the, the, the word misuse means to misappropriate something by using it for an unintended purpose. And so given those definitions, casually saying, oh my God, could suggest a lack of importance in God's name. And misquoting God as saying something that actually doesn't appear in scripture would be an example of misuse or misusing his name. And so in a nutshell, I want you to write this down. It's on your outline. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. 
If you're listening online, you can follow along digitally. But it means to misappropriate God's teachings for malpractice, for malpractices. In other words, if you take God's teachings and you twist it to mean something it doesn't mean, to commit evil in God's name. Now, let me explain. We are forbidden, therefore, from taking the name of God in a manner that is wicked or worthless or for wrong purposes. It's absolutely forbidden to take God's name and use it for things that are wicked and worthless and wrong purposes. Now, the question then becomes, what are some of those things? And when I looked at the scripture, you'll be surprised how many things that, that, that the scripture says, don't do, God is going to not hold you guiltless if you use his name inappropriately. I come up with four for this morning, but there are more, okay? The first one, the first wicked and worthless and wrong purpose I want you to write down is to, is to swear to God. Write that down somewhere, to swear to God. And the idea is I swear to God, and what do you got going on behind your back? Put that picture back up there. You got your, you got your fingers crossed. Anyone ever see anyone do that? They swear to God, but this is supposed to negate what they are saying. Okay? Leviticus 19.12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so when you swear to God, and basically you're lying, he said, you now have taken my name in vain. So it's not just using his word as a curse word. Now it's lying in his name. Does that make sense? Now Jesus took it a step further. In Matthew 5.33, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not, help me somebody, do not swear an oath at all. He says, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by, by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply, help me, help me, yes or no. And then Jesus says, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything beyond this is of the devil. In other words, he says, stop swearing and start walking in integrity. When you've got to say, I swear on my mother's grave. Have you heard people say that? Yeah. Or I swear to God on this, I swear to God. Jesus says, stop doing that at all. Your word should be your bond. Amen? Amen. Your yes should mean yes. And your no should mean no. And he says, anything beyond that is manip manipulation. And it's, it's your borderlining on taking my name in vain. I oftentimes, when I baptize people, and I've baptized many of over 20, 20-something 20 years, 
I've even lost count. <laughs> Some people, I said, have you been baptized? They said, Pastor Rick, you baptized me. <laughs> I said, did I? <laughs> it's been a long time. I've baptized a lot of people. Oftentimes when we do, we will take pictures, especially of the youth. We will take pictures. All right? And so we have, you know, every now and then in my, in my Rolodex, I have pictures of people who got baptized. And then, you know, time goes by. And when I baptize people, I ask them, do you intend on following the Lord as best you can for the rest of your life? Yes, I do. Then it's my privilege and my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You've made a commitment. You've said yes to God that you are going to follow Jesus as best you can before God and these witnesses. And then I hear reports, so-and-so getting in trouble with the law or so-and-so acting foolish or doing something with their wife or, or doing something inappropriate. And I have been known to take that picture, even years later, and send that to so-and-so. Did you mean it when you said that? When you made this commitment for, before the Lord? Or were you just playing lip service or lying before the Father? Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. What's another purpose that the scripture frowns on? Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 25 says, I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I have a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Remember Baal? We introduced him two weeks ago when Elijah went up against them and wiped out like 400 of them. They're worshiping idols and they're doing things in his name and he's saying they're leading them to him. In other words, beware, he's saying, beware of lying prophets. Beware of lying prophets, people who use God's name to deceive others. Write that down, to deceive others. Now, what's happening in that text? They're basically making stuff up out of their own minds and their own hearts and saying it was God. They're dreamers, they're dreamers, and they were basically lying and using these dreams to manipulate the people. I, I, call, this, I call this group today, if we were to meet with them, I call it the God told me this, God told me that people. You ever met people who God is always talking to? I, I'm a pastor, and I don't hear it that much. Every sentence, God told me this, God told me that. And listen to me, I, 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 I am not saying that I don't believe God speaks today. I believe God still speaks today. I believe in prophecy. This, this building that you're in today was prophesied by three different uh, prophetic voices before we got here saying it was going to happen. My call into the ministry was prophesied on three different occasions. And so I still believe God speaks today. I just don't believe that God speaks as much as people claim he speaks. You understand what I'm saying? And sometimes when they use, God told me this, God told me that, they use it to manipulate you into doing whatever they want done. Now, that's why in that same verse, in Jeremiah 23, verse 28, 
it says, let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let him who has my word speak it faithfully. Because oftentimes they will say things, and what they say is in contradiction to what God's word says. How many of us have his word? Come on, somebody. We have his word that we can test what, the, what is being said prophetically. And if it doesn't line up with what the word of God says, you can throw it out. It's not from God. Amen? He says, let the prophet who has the dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Verse 30. Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I'm against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare the Lord declares. Indeed, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. And so the Bible makes it clear that God is against lying prophets and the prognosticators of today. Because I believe a lot of the lying prophets and prognosticators of today are in our media. It's our politicians, so-called scientists of today who are pushing all sorts of fantasies, and lies that directly contradict what God's word says. Listen, they have targeted the word of God from the very first words of God. The Bible says in Genesis, in the beginning, God. And the lying prophets and prognosticators of today and say, there is no God. And then that's, the, next, the, next, the very next thing it says, in the beginning, God created. And the lying prophets and prognosticators of today says, no, we weren't created. We, were, we evolved from fish and monkeys. And oftentimes when they tell me that, with a straight face, sometimes I squint my eyes and I can look at them and I can almost see the monkey in them. The Bible says God created them, listen to me, male and female. And the lying prophets and prognosticators were masquerading as scientists claim that there are now over 50 or 60 genders that they can supposedly choose from. And they've dedicated a whole month to gay pride and the celebration of what the Bible calls sin. And if he just called it sin, that would be one thing. It's the one sin in the Bible he calls an abomination. It's the one sin in the Bible that God wiped out two cities for. Yet it's celebrated here in our country and the lying prophets and prognosticators are telling people that they're born that way. They claim that a man can be a woman 
and a woman can be a man simply by mutilating yourself and taking hormones. They claim that, women, that men can have babies and they're confusing the children. Let me tell you, right here and right now, no man can have a baby. If they tell you it's a lie, how do they get there? Because the woman who says she's a man in a body becomes a man and gets pregnant. It's still a woman. And they further blaspheme God by saying this is how God made them. In the case of homosexuality, if they say if there's a God, that somehow he made a mistake and put them in the wrong bodies. More lies. Folks, this is all attacks of the first book of the Bible. We haven't even gotten out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And they attack everything it says concerning what God says. Now let me tell you what the scriptures actually say on this subject. And this is the New Testament. Because oftentimes people say, well, Pastor Rick, that's the Old Testament. No, this is the New Testament under the New Covenant. This is what it says. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Listen, those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, help me somebody, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Speak the truth and shame the devil. But then it goes on to say, but some of you were once like that. I'm not talking about a pride issue. I'm looking down my nose. It says, this is who we were. Some of you were just like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. In other words, this is who you were. But this isn't who you are now. You hear what I'm saying? And so my advice to people, they say, but Pastor Rick, we're celebrating. It's a loving thing. It's not a loving thing to, 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 to insinuate that this is okay when the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The loving thing to do is not to lie to them and celebrate it. The loving thing to do is to point them to a God who, who, who is more than willing to forgive them if they repent and turn from their sins. We serve a good, good father. Amen? Amen. He's a gracious God. And every single one of us have to come to this place where we, we acknowledge that we sin and we need forgiveness. And stop lying on God and taking his name in vain and saying, oh, he made me this way. Oh, I, I've got an appetite for women. Why did God make me with such a high appetite for, for women? That's a lie. God didn't make you that way. The sin in your heart drove you to do that. And what God is calling you to do is to repent of it and to turn to him. And he says, you will be forgiven. Amen? Amen. But he did not call you to stay in that state. 
And the loving thing to do is, is to tell people the truth, which is becoming harder and harder in this world today. Yeah. It's becoming more and more difficult because people don't want to hear the truth. The scripture says in the last days they will amass people who will tickle their ears, who will tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. But there's nothing new in this, under the sun because it was going on in the Old Testament as well. Lying prophets and prognosticators. In addition, they tell us, they claim that a man has the ability to control, somehow control or influence the weather. And consequently, they predict disastrous weather patterns coming our way if we don't, you know, curtail the, the use of certain fuels. Now, my problem with all that is the weatherman predicts rain often and there's no rain. Anyone ever experienced that? <laughs> and oftentimes the weatherman predicts there's gonna, there, there won't be no rain and, and all of a sudden you're, <laughs> you didn't bring your umbrella based on what he says and you got caught. It happened to Deb and I the other day. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful day out. We went into to Sam's. They have a metal roof. You know how I knew it was the start of the rain? <laughs> Because it was, I, I, oh, it'll pass. No, it wasn't passing. I had to buy a, a dryer that day, okay, and try to shove it in the back of my car in the rain that it wasn't supposed to rain, okay? Oftentimes, they'll make predictions, and they can't get it right just a couple days out. And I don't care how accurate they, they may seem, how, how good their com computer models may be, they get it wrong a lot, a lot of false alarms. How many times have they said the hurricane was going to hit us over the years? You know, how many, you know how many times I put up my shutters? I'm not getting a whole lot of sympathy here. But I have a two-story house. And I have shutters that I have to climb a ladder on the outside to put up. And I've kill myself putting these things up because they said the hurricane's coming, all right? And it didn't come. And it takes me two days. So they can't even always get that right. But yet, mystically, they claim that if we don't do something today, in 10 or 20 years, the earth is going to be destroyed by rising sea tides. Now, you know how I know that's not true? Because the Bible says God's never going to destroy the earth by flood again. Never. That's the actual meaning of the rainbow, by the way. Not this gay pride nonsense that you see going on. It's the promise that God will never flood the earth again. They've taken the promise that God made and they've and they appropriated it for something that God calls sinful. But that's the promise. The Lord says the earth will get destroyed again, but it won't be by flood. <laughs> if you're interested, look it up. It's going to be by fire. And so they said, well, the sea rises. So my thing is, if the sea rises over a thousand years, so what? Why don't we just do what they do for thousands of years when the water comes up? They move inland. Hello? They just move. So like I said, they can't accurately predict the weather a week from now, much less 10 years from now, 100 years from now. Yet they're predicting that we are somehow responsible for floods and droughts and climate change or whatever. Now, you've heard me say this before. I don't, 
I don't disagree that the climate changes. It, it changes all the time. It's been happening for centuries. But the geniuses of today somehow tied it into man. Man is responsible in the use of fossil fuels, and that's why, the, that's why we're being told uh, that's part of the reason why anybody having some pain at the pump these days? I just post it. Every time I have to go give gas, if anyone's on my Facebook, I just take a picture of it. <laughs> I, I just can't believe that two years ago I was two-something, and now I'm pushing $5. I, I can't believe it. And so they want us in electric and vehicles and all this other stuff, except they don't have the infrastructure for electric vehicles. And, and have, you, have, you, have you priced out what an electric vehicle costs? It's $50,000, $60,000. I'm going to buy a $60,000 vehicle to save $5 in gas? No, I'm not doing it. Most people can't do it. And so, but they don't just say it's, it's fossil fuel. They also say they blame it on, they blame it on cows. Cows farting. <laughs> you, you think I'm joking. I'm not. They've done studies. I came across an article that, that was entitled Cows, Methane, and Climate Change. And it asked the question, how does beef and dairy cows contribute to climate change? It says, livestock agriculture is a source of methane, a powerful greenhouse gas. Over the last couple of centuries, Earth has become warmer, and that's because of greenhouse gases released in the atmosphere. And so they also gave us these cool diagrams. This, this is a cow, right? And the cow eats, and it goes into the stomach, and it comes out the other side, methane, and even they breathe it out. CH4 is methane. And they give us another one to show us it goes in, goes into the stomach, goes into the small intestines, I mean, large intestines, small intestines, and out. And so the reason why we're having uh, problems in our world today is because supposedly cows, all right? It says, the article went on to say that the beef and dairy cattle industry is one of the main contributors to global greenhouse gases, Methane makes up about half of the total greenhouse gas, gas the sector emits, this sector emits. Cows generate methane in two main ways, through their digestion and through their waste. And so obviously they must have a solution. What's the solution? What cows eat has a, a big effect on how much methane they produce. Digesting certain types of food produces more methane than digesting other foods. For example, digesting hay and grass produces more methane than corn. Scientists are studying alternatives to cow feed that may produce less methane. For example, scientists are trying to add seaweed to cow's food. And they hope that seaweed can inhibit a certain enzyme. But researchers have found one problem with this solution. Cows don't like seaweed. <laughs> cows don't like seaweed. How much money did, you, did they give you to come up with that? Cows don't like seaweed? What? They don't like seaweed, apparently, unless you're a sea cow, a manatee. Listen, <laughs> cows like what God created cows to like, grass and hay. Other scientists are taking a generic approach. They found that the type and amount of methane-producing bacteria found in the cow's stomach is related to its genetic makeup. Knowing this, scientists are breeding cows that have less of these bacteria in their stomachs. This will eventually create a type of genetically modified cow that produces less methane, less methane. Hmm, that sounds delicious. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's what's going on with the McDonald's hamburger anyway. 
Is that real beef? The, the problem with all this, you know, dabbling from scientists, <laughs> by the time they're done, everyone eating hamburgers is going to be glowing. Listen, the Bible says in the last days, knowledge will increase. And there will be people who, 2 Timothy 3, 7, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, we're going to have a lot of what I call educated idiots on the planet with their BAs and MAs and the PhDs, and they're fools. Because the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They, they won't acknowledge him. Prognosticating, I call it nonsense, and mis misleading people in the name of science and blasphemy and profaning God's name. Now, it doesn't end there. We're coming to a close. The scripture says we should not be using God's name, watch this, write this down, to justify child sacrifice. To justify child sacrifice. Leviticus 18.21 says, Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Now, Molech was an idol back in those days. In other words, the scripture says about children that they are a blessing from God. Humans made in the image and the likeness of him should be cherished and respected. Now, before you say okay to this one, this is an easy one. Pastor Rick, you know, I'm not sacrificing any child to, to, to Moloch or anybody else. I'm going to suggest to you, in light of what's going on in the world today, you need to open your eyes. We have one political party in our nation, and I... I prepared this message before all this stuff went down. I didn't even know it was going to happen this week. But one particular party who, because they thought this was going to happen, brought to a vote on the Senate floor. They called it the, the Women's Health Protection Act, WHPA. And what it really is is an abortion on demand bill that allows for the killing of babies, listen, up to nine months right before the birth of the baby for any reason or no reason at all. Have you seen a nine-month pregnant woman? I see them protesting on the street. This lady had her shirt cut off here, had her belly out. She's about nine months, and she wrote on her stomach, not a human yet. I'm like, what? What is it, a horse? Uh, sea turtle, what do you think is in your stomach? But that's the delusion that's going on in this world today. They put it to a vote a few weeks ago, and it, and it failed, listen, 51 against, 49 for. One party, 50 uh, Republicans voted against it, and one Senator, Joe Manchin, crossed over and they voted against it, opposing it, ahead of the bill. 49 Democrats and our president thought it was a great idea to kill a baby in a womb up to nine months. President Biden said in a statement afterwards that the vote runs counter to the will of the majority of the American people. He say, he's saying, right now in America, the majority of Americans desire to have babies killed in the womb up to nine months 
and moments before birth, that that is the majority. Now, if that's the case, the majority of American people are sick in the head. If you don't have a problem with taking the life of a baby nine months, something is wrong with you. And it's no wonder we have a problem that we have in this country. Senators that voted for this supposedly represent the people who voted them in the office. In other words, they represent us. And they think they're doing the will of the people. In my opinion, abortion is the modern day version of child sacrifice. It is. And Leviticus 18.21 says, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now again, how does this profane God's name? Because a lot of people say, well, Pastor Rick, I'm not, seeing the, I'm not seeing the connection. Well, there are those who would use God's word to justify it. They, they do it all the time. They do it all the time. I came across an article, and this article said, religious backers of abortion rights says God's on their side. Religious backers of abortion rights. People who go to church say God is on their side on this issue. And then I'm going to give you the argument. They use the argument that the Bible says our bodies are the temple of God, and the, and the religious women interviewed said this. We know that Christianity supports freedom, and inherent in freedom is bodily autonomy. Inherent in Christianity is free will. When people talk about the body being a temple of God, you, are, you have purview over your body, and this is nothing more, there is nothing more sacred, Cotton said. That was the woman's name. The idea of the state restricting what a person could do with their own body is in direct conf conflict with that, she said, and it's reminiscent of being under someone else's control of slavery. Then she said this, you don't get to tell me what to do with my body, basically. So what is she doing? She's taking God's word, and she's justifying abortion. And, 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 and I have basically two problems with her way of thinking. Because the person's body who's dying isn't, her, isn't hers. It's a child's. It's, a, it's, a, it's a either a baby boy or it's a baby girl, but it's not her body that's dying. It's a, it's, it's a child. And then she takes what I call... She's, profaning God's name because she's justifying it by, by saying this is what God, that God is on her side on this issue. She said, don't tell me what to do with my body. And she misquotes what the scripture says. Now, let me tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the scripture that she's quoting. And you tell me if she can use that to justify what she's doing. 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For, for we are the temple of the living God, as God said. He says, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, he says, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will, be, I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. New Testament. And so in that text, he's literally telling you what you should and shouldn't do with your body. 
And then he tells you why he has say over what you do in your body. He says, because your body, if you're a believer, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where you go, he goes. And what you do, he does. And what you do in his name is either going to be, is either going to line up with what he says or, or it's going to profane his name. Does that make sense? So he says, come out. And it literally says, don't, don't do certain things with your body because it's God's temple. So when we take his word to justify doing evil, it's using his name in vain. And it blasphemes him. So it's not just about a cuss word or a slip of the tongue. It's about taking what's evil and saying it's good and then, and then turning around and, 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 and baptizing it and saying this, God is for this. You have now taken his name in vain. Go ahead and do a deep dive into that one. You're going to find the multiple areas surrounding behaviors and justifications of sin before God that he considers profaning his name. It's the reason why the Jews kept getting in trouble with him. They would stray off into sin. They'd start out right, but they'd stray off into sin and idolatry, and then they'd turn around, and then they'd expect that God would be okay with it. Sort of like what happens in the world today. So let me just add just one more as we're seeking out this list. Our bad behavior can also profane his name. Amos 2, 6, and 7 says this. This is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will, let them go, I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. In other words, they, they were manipulating the, the poor with money. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. And both father and son sleep with the same woman. And they're doing this all in the name of God. He says, corrupting my holy name. Malachi 1. It says, but you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord, and you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you uh, uh, such offerings as these, asked the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram for his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of heaven's army, and my name is feared among the nations. What were they doing? They were making promises. The, the, the Jews had a, a system of sacrificing, and they were saying, I, I'm bringing my best of my flock. I'm bringing the best of my thing to, to make sacrifices to God. And what they were doing was they were looking in their thing and saying, which, which is the sick one? Which is the one that's not going to last? Which is the one that's, that, that has problems? We're going to pull that one out. And they were bringing that to the table of God to to. to to offer as a sacrifice, they were saying it was the best, but it was a lie. And God says, and you're doing it all in my name. And you're profaning my name. Now, the question is, does God still feel that way about his name today? That was the Old Testament. You don't have to go very far to look in the New Testament. You remember that whole deal with the apostles and uh, two people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Look it up when you get a chance. They were 
selling parcels of land to bring to the table so that they can spread it out among those who needed it. And Ananias and Sapphira, who were husband and wife, sold their parcel of land and brought it to the table, and they kept a portion to themselves. But they lied to the apostles and said, this is, this is everything that we had. And first he came in, and, and, and uh, Peter called him out and he says, you've not lied to me. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And in church, the dude drops dead. And then three hours later, his wife comes in. They don't know that he, they carried him out. And he says, tell me, what did you get for the parcel of land? And she said the same thing. Oh, we got this much. And he says, why, why did you guys decide to do this? You can fool me, but you can't fool God. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. And she drops dead. Could, could you imagine if, if that was still happening today? Could, could you imagine? It says, when it happened in the church, fear went over the whole church. Because that's how serious God was. He was making an example. Folks, there's more to this taking God's name in vain than just, okay, I, I stubbed my finger and I said, a, I said a cuss word. That's bad. Or Jesus this or Jesus that. It's how you conduct yourself in this life, calling yourself a Christian or a believer, and then acting totally different in major areas. Does that make sense? Now, the good news is this, that in Christ, everything can be forgiven. Amen? He says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. God knows what he's getting. The Bible says this is what you all were. He makes a list. He doesn't just single out homosexuality. He says you were liars, you were adulterers, you were fornicators, you were doing all sorts of things. And then, yes, I looked at that list. I saw me in that list too. Okay? We were all doing things that were inappropriate before the Father. But he says, but you were washed. You were cleansed. You were justified by the blood of Jesus. This is, this is who you were. This is not who you are anymore. And by the grace of God, he can give us the strength to overcome those things that were holding us back, including homosexuality. I know people who used to be in that lifestyle. Stop lying to people and saying that God made them this way. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. There's nowhere in the scripture. God does not make you that way and then condemn you for being condemned the behavior. He doesn't. So no, we won't be waving any gay pride parades here at Living Water Community Church. It's an abomination. Can God forgive it? Absolutely. The blood of Jesus can forgive every sin. And he wants to. But it's up to us to say, listen, and it's not just the homosexual, it's the fornicator, it's a person like that. Get married. All right? Jesus did not save us so that we can continue in our sin. He loves us enough to accept us just the way we are. But he loves us way too much to keep us that way. He will start to put his will and his desires in your heart. And he will back it up with his word. 
And that's why it's important to know his word because you'll have people today, well, God said this and God said that. And then it's the opposite of what the word of God says. I don't fear rising tides. I know it's not going to happen. And if it does, I'll just move. That's not how God's going to wipe out this planet. <laughs> okay? Jesus is coming back. Amen? And he's coming back for a church. He's coming back for believers who are on fire for him. And for such a time as now, we cannot be fooling around because things are getting darker. Things I've said today offends people. And all I did was quote the scripture. There are people who are going to be listening online. Can you believe Pastor Rick said that? Quote the scripture. The scripture says that in the last days, that's how it's going to be. They're not going to want to hear what the Bible has to say. Now, the Bible says there's one sin that won't be forgiven. He calls it blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said anything spoken against me will be forgiven, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven in this life or the life to come. Now, you know what I believe the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? It's to, it's to reject the witness of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit who's trying to point you to the grace of God and the only one who has the ability to forgive you of your sins. To reject Jesus to the day you die. And it's not that God didn't want to forgive you. At this point, you have made a decision and said, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And God's going to allow you to, 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 to stand in your own sins. And the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. You will get just what you deserve. But it goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, 1 John 5 says this. This is the message we've heard from Jesus. I'm closing with this. And now I declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but you go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if you are living in the light as God is in the light, then you have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive. To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. It goes on to say, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case from the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. What is Jesus doing right now? He is pleading our case before the Father. He, is, he, has, the, he has been the one who sacrificed himself, and he's the one that stands as our go-between. He says, Lord, he says, he says, Father, this one is with me. He's with me. She's with me. For those who bow their knees to Jesus, you are now covered by the blood of Jesus. 
and all your sins. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how, how, how what people think about it. If you confess your sins to the Father, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You become a brand new person in Christ by the grace of God. And by his grace, you will walk with him on a day-to-day basis. doesn't mean that you won't. He says if you do sin, he says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. This is a personal relationship with Jesus. And God, that's what God is calling us to do. But you have to say, that's what I want. The person who rejects Christ to the day they die you've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the the witness of Jesus. And it's not that God doesn't want to forgive you. At this point, he just can't because you have basically said, I don't want what 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 you're offering. And you will stand before God, not in his righteousness, but clothed in your own righteousness. And the Bible is letting you know you think you're that good. You're not as good as you think you are because the Scripture says all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And what we all deserve is death, spiritual death, separation from the Father. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, we're at the end of the service. And if you've not yet made that commitment to to God and his son, Jesus, it would be my privilege and my honor just to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. It's not a magic wand. It's a condition of your heart. It's understanding the truth of what he says and responding to him in your life, saying, yes, Lord, that's what I want in my life. The loving thing to do is not to embrace your sin. The loving thing to do is to point people to the grace of Jesus and say there's forgiveness for everybody, everybody. There's forgiveness for everybody in this world if we acknowledge that we're sinners and we we repent of it and ask him to forgive. Does that make sense? So as we come to a close this morning, let's say we're going to bow the heads and close our eyes. And if that's you today, say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I need you. I want you. Forgive me for my sins. I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life and come into my heart from this day forward. Forgive me for wrong thinking. If I've offended you in any way, in terms of my behavior, taking your name in vain, even using your name as a common curse word, Father, these are are things that you've said offend you. (laughs) I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for my sins. He rose three days later. And that he lives, I will live as well. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.